You're listening to The Real Witches of the End Times, transmissions straight from the underworld. Witches, Blood Wizards, Underworld Accountants, and Cloud People. Welcome back to The Real Witches of the End Times. And today I have with me Jay Allen Cross, who I actually forgot to ask your pronouns before I started recording. What are they? I go by uh, he and him pronouns. Okay, thank you. So he is here today because I, well, actually my housemates just recorded an episode with him on Magical Podcast, and then I started delving into his Instagram and reading all of these amazing articles that he's written. Uh, some people have a bit of a controversial take on them, but I really respect what he's written about calling yourself a witch or um, the importance of reading books. And he's also publishing a book in this coming May of 2021 called American Brujeria, and I can't wait to dive into that. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm very excited to be here. So do you want to give everyone here a little bit of a background on the types of magic you work with and where your life experience? And I also know you're a paranormal investigator. Yes, I kind of do a little bit of all the things when it comes to the supernatural. Um, you know, I was born into a magical family and have kind of worked in several different paths and, you know, systems of magic. But Recently, I've been called back to a lot of my ancestral practices, and that has led me to something that I've come to call um, American Brujeria. And what that is essentially is the modern folk magic that is being practiced by Mexican-American people who are living here in the United States. Um, I started to realize that, you know, there, there's a difference between, you know, old school traditional brujeria as it's practiced in, you know, the Mexican countryside. But we as Mexican-Americans have really developed our own very specific type of uh, magical practice. And so I've really been diving into that, what that looks like and, you know, what comes with it. And so that's a lot of what the book is about, is about our culture um, and how we have continued on our traditions here in the United States after immigrating and what it looks like now for us. And uh, this is something that's being practiced a lot by, you know, Latinx youth across the United States, as well as, you know, around the world, wherever we find ourselves. And um, it's kind of a unique thing unto ourselves that I'm really excited to talk about and write about and kind of share with the world. How long have you been working on this book for? Um, not that long, actually. I, I surprisingly wrote it. So I, I pitched the idea to my editor in February. And the book wasn't written at that time. In fact, I had pitched an entirely different book to this publisher and they were interested in it. Um, and then I kind of I kind of got lost on, on the first book I was writing because I wasn't sure exactly how to approach it. And then one morning I was laying in bed and it hit me. Um, I should do a book on our specific magic, you know, because people had been asking me to write a book on, you know, traditional brujeria, but traditional work like that it's very secret and you don't get to learn it unless you actually find a bruja or brujo to teach you and that only happens really if you're living in mexico speak the language fluently and you know have someone really take a shine to you so it's nearly impossible to find actual information on real traditional brujeria 
Um, so I didn't feel comfortable writing a book about that. But then I started to realize that we have our own magic and it was stuff that I had been practicing for quite a while at that point. Um, that is specific to Mexican-American and honestly, you know, a lot of Latinx people um, who are living in the United States. I tend to speak about the Mexican portion of it specifically because that is my heritage. And so I can't really speak for, you know, Puerto Ricans, you know, Venezuelans, Guatemalans, things like that, who also have their own kind of versions of brujería um, and curanderismo and things like that. So I I want to acknowledge that they are kind of included in this category, but I can't really speak for them. I can only talk for the Mexican group here. Um, yeah, so I wrote it very, very quickly, actually. It kind of wrote itself a little bit. So I pitched the book in February. By, I believe, May, I submitted the book, the, the finished manuscript, to my editor, um, who is Judica Isles, and I adore her, absolutely. She has written quite a few books and is well known in our community. So to not only pitch a book to her, but have her be the one that's editing it was intimidating to say the least, but she's been a dream. (laughs) And so she's currently hacking away at my manuscript and I can't wait to see what she's done to it. Um, And then we are going to be set to go in May. So it's going to be about a year total in process, but the book writing itself only took a few months. It, it was very, it just kind of came out of me, <laughs> but that's how I do most projects. <laughs> I can relate to that. I definitely understand. Like I'm part of my, my job is as an, as an artist, I paint. Um, and then a lot of my hobbies include like music. And so there's definitely times when I'll uh, finish a song or a painting and be like, where did this come from? Like, I don't know how I did that in that small right. amount of time or where the time yeah. went. So that that is so interesting though. And I am really excited to read it. I'm going to get the book and I, I'm curious too, like what is your, so obviously your audience is um, Latinx youth or anyone who has that heritage um, and is practicing like what you would equate to American brujeria. But is this also a book that you would hope people would read who aren't practicing? Yeah, but it's interesting because especially a lot of people who are in our community are practicing, but they don't realize that they're practicing. Mm. Um, A lot of the research for this book was me sitting down with basically anyone who would talk to me who had who was, you know, culturally Mexican um, and me talking with them and they'd always be like, well, I have nothing to tell you. I don't do any sort of weird magic or anything like that. You know, I, I don't know what you're really wanting. But then I start to kind of ask them questions. And then they begin to realize, oh, all these things that were just normal parts of my upbringing are magic. You know, things like keeping apples by your bedside table or um, all this stuff. You know, the the enormous healing power of Vicks Vapor Rub. Um, you know, like <laughs> all these things that are just kind of these these cultural norms that we just don't think about, you know, oh, you know, don't, you know, sweep over someone else's feet or sweep over your own feet while you're sweeping or, you know, all these things. It's just so embedded into our culture. This book is really kind of, I'm hoping will be helpful for people to kind of find that, oh, we have been doing magic this entire time, or, oh, that's the reason why my grandma always did that or things like that. So I'm seeing a lot of light bulbs go off with people as I talk more and more about our traditions you know, people who were raised in the United States and are, you know, both Mexican and American were kind of in between. And so when I start talking about these traditions from Mexico, a lot of people go, 
oh, so that's why my grandma kept doing that to me. Or like, you know, why, why, you know, my grandma wouldn't ever walk anywhere without shoes inside the house or like, you know, slippers or something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. So I like seeing all of those light bulbs go off for people and it helps them understand and then reconnect with their culture, which is really important to me. I am really grateful for, for books that have that intention kind of embedded into them because that is how I was able to reconnect with parts of my culture as well. Like part of my family, I mentioned to you off mic is Thai. Mm -hmm. And in my youth, we were really connected to them a lot more. And now as an adult, uh, there's just been a lot of family feuds, I guess. And it's just really (laughs) hard to really contact a lot of my family that uh, still lives in Thailand, who I have been visited before, but there's just a lot of problems with like our, all of our communication Mm-hmm. now um, not specifically with me but with with my parents and my grandparents so when I first found a book about the Thai cult and I didn't when I got it I didn't have the intention of it really sticking like with me or recognizing things in it like what you were describing mm-hmm. but once I dove into it there was so many things from my my family's like habits and things that I just thought were normal things people did when uh all of the time that I realized were specifically part of that tradition. And so, and that sparked a whole new um, like rabbit hole of research for me and feeling much more connected to my ancestry. Mm-hmm. And so again, like I'm, I, I feel like your book is going to be really helpful for a lot of people out there. Yeah, I really hope so. And we're really in this place right now where a lot of us are being called back to our ancestral magics and it's so funny because uh, when I was growing up and, you know, first starting to do the witchcraft, everything was Wicca mm-hmm. or it was Celtic or it was British in, in some form or another, which is just, you know, another product of colonization. But in this day and age, we're starting to realize that magic and witchcraft was ubiquitous through all cultures. Mm-hmm. So we're starting to understand like, oh, you know, my family does come from magic or there are little uh, ticks that our ancestors will have that are, are magically related, you know, little lucky charms or things like that that we're finding. And right now, there's so few really reliable sources, especially for Mexican magic, that are in English. A lot of them are in Spanish. And many of us who are Mexican American have lost the ability to either speak or read and write in Spanish. So there's this huge barrier between those of us who are culturally Mexican in the United States, but are unable to then participate in, you know, our ancestral magic because we can't, we can't understand the language. So being able to produce something like this in English, um, I feel is really important now. Definitely. I, the, the book I found in the Taya cold is the only one I know that exists. I have found nothing else that I could, I mean, that I could read in English that has any of that um, association with it. Yeah. So uh, again, I think this is really important. And I also appreciate, again, from other writings I read of yours, of articles about how you really emphasize the importance of books and learning and really diving into Mm -hmm. the origins of a lot of the practices, because we are currently in an age where everything is accessible in terms of the internet. And that's great. I Mm -hmm. think for, for like following an inner calling that magic practitioners have or whatever, like some intuitive feeling, but like there comes a point, I think, when you have to start looking to the people who have come to before you, regardless of whether whatever lineage you have, or if you don't know anything about your lineage, like seeing like there, there I think there's a 
an extent to which you follow what you're called to, and then you start learning. Mm. And that is something that you brought up in, I think I can't, it was the, I'm thinking of two articles. I can't remember which one this was in, but there was one about calling yourself a witch and one about um, the, the girl who died trying to conjure a deity from. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Kat Reston. Yeah. I bring her up a little bit more than she, than I probably should um, because you know, her, I want to be respectful of her family and the fact that, you know, they've just lost someone, but she is kind of a shining example of a lot of the issues we're seeing right now in, you know, modern witchcraft. People think it's a joke. People think that there are no rules. People think they can do things like, oh, well, I started voodoo yesterday after two weeks of learning Wicca. And, you know, what could possibly go wrong? And when people are like, hey, maybe you shouldn't do that. They're like, don't tell me what to do. And then bad things happen. And it's hard to get that through to a lot of people. The fact that witchcraft is dangerous. A lot of forms of magic are dangerous. And there's a lot of reasons why we end up kind of in this la-la land of, oh, like magic and witchcraft is just here to, you know, make all of your dreams come true and and help you, you know, heal all of your pain and make your life perfect. But on the flip side of that, there's also a great deal of works that are meant to harm people or to financially cripple people or, you know, give them terrible diseases. And people don't talk about those. Or if they do, they take them very lightly and kind of giggle mischievously, like, ooh, that might be fun to use one day. And people don't understand the the impact and the, the gravity of that type of magic. So people really just kind of jump into witchcraft because it's cool. And there, you know, there's all these Instagram influencers that are telling them like, oh, this is for everyone. This is your birthright. Nothing can go wrong here. And that's very dangerous. And so I'm attempting to at least a little bit speak on that and let people know that this isn't a game. This isn't a trend. This isn't something that you just decide to dabble in, at least without the potential for serious consequences. So I would like to see a lot more people take, you know, this type of work a lot more seriously. Gotcha. And you too, you also had a perspective on the power of calling yourself a witch. I think people talk about that the intrinsic power that you feel when you realize that for yourself, but then mm-hmm. not a lot of people. I, I I think you're the only person recently that I've heard really speak to when you start calling yourself a witch. That puts a call out beyond yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you kind of send out this big cosmic ripple, and I mean it's the same thing where if you call yourself any sort of title, whether you're calling yourself a mechanic you are then broadcasting out to the world that you have a certain set of skills and you will be able to help people um, in certain types of situations or you're saying that you have knowledge um, that is specific to your area of expertise. And it's funny because I don't know why people think that calling yourself a witch should be any different than calling yourself something like a mechanic or a doctor or you know any, any sort of title. You know, I don't just wake up in the morning and decide, you know what, I'm a mechanic. And if I did do that, you probably should not go to me for to do your brakes because I know absolutely nothing about, you know, cars or, you know, automobiles or anything like that. So 
we're seeing this a lot in the witchcraft community and it comes from a lot of witch influencers, people who have lots and lots of followers on Instagram. We, we see it over and over again, people being like, well, you know, the only thing you have to do to become a witch is just say that you are one. And that's wrong for a couple of different reasons. Because number one, that's just leaping over a bunch of education and all kinds of things. So it, it's the same thing as calling yourself a mechanic without any sort of education in it at all. So I think it's important that we be educated in that. And it also kind of sets a precedence for the fact that you don't have to take this seriously. You don't have to study. You don't have to learn. You just have to buy a floppy black hat from Forever 21. And then now you are a witch. And that can be dangerous because again, there is more than just love and prosperity spells out there. And there are more than just angels and guides out there. There are demons and creatures and other spirit types that aren't going to be always friendly. And when you kind of walk into the supernatural world, you are on their playing field. And if you don't know how to play, then you can find yourself in a lot of trouble very quickly. I'm not necessarily saying that people shouldn't call themselves witches. I just want people to have an education about what that means and what that comes with. Because in this day and age, we like to really just throw titles onto ourselves. Things like, oh, I'm a shaman, or I'm a druid, or I am a witch, or things like that, without really understanding the gravity of what that means. So I think it's important that we take some time and actually know what it is that we're doing before we declare that we are something. Um, I see a lot in like Facebook witch groups and things. I just have to get out of this. I'm, I'm still for some reason <laughs> in them just kind of lurking at this point. But I, I see so many times people are like, so I'm a witch. Um, can you tell me what my first witchcraft book should be? Whoa. And I'm like, well, well, we need to back this one up <laughs> um, because we, we're putting the cart before the horse a lot. We need to take some time, educate ourselves, and then take on a title when we feel you know ready for it. And it's hard because, again, people are getting all this kind of bravado from influencer witches that are telling them like, oh, just call yourself one. Just call yourself one. It's your birthright. All these things that they have really no authority to be telling people. But it then comes with this sort of undertone of they're also trying to sell you something. Yeah. Whether it's their new book, it's a membership into their coven, um, a new class that's coming out. Crystal stage kit. Exactly. Crystal stage kit. And if they, if they tell people this is for you, this is for everyone, this will heal your trauma. This will like make your life okay again. Then they get more sales. They get more followers because they're not putting up any sort of obstacles. And I'm not saying that, you know, we need we need to put up obstacles, but you also can't remove necessary ones, right? You don't just get handed a black belt before you even start learning martial arts. You have to actually earn one, um, which I think is important. So we need to kind of make a good effort to kind of make sure that who we are following is giving us good information and not just telling us things that will get us to buy what they are selling. Cause that's where we run into problems. Definitely. And I do want to say, because from your article that you wrote and then 
talking to you now and your other things that you've posted on Instagram, like it's definitely like when you, when you say that people shouldn't call themselves a witch until they've really studied, you're not at all denying like the, that feel that, that knowing that we have, that we want to do something mm-hmm. in my head. I think of how, cause I'm studying herbalism right now. I'm in an herbalism course, but I would not call myself an herbalist at this point. I call myself an herbal acolyte. So mm-hmm. do you have, um, because I think when sometimes when people and they don't know and they start calling themselves a witch right away, I think there's in the in the spiritual community, paranormal community, whatever on this more like the magical community in general, no matter what piece it is, there just is. I talk to so many people and there's just such a lack of terminology uh, that we are able to like understand between groups, and it's hmm. really frustrating sometimes. And I think the understanding of the word witch seems to be one of them because I think when people call themselves a witch, sometimes they don't understand that that's like a title, mm-hmm. but also what, what would a potential alternative be like a magical practitioner or a student or I don't know. Yeah. It really depends on, on the type of work that they're doing. Cause well, cause something that we're seeing a lot too, is people being like, Oh, I'm a witch. And then you go, oh, okay, well, what type of practice do you do? Oh, well, I am an herbalist. That is fantastic. That is awesome, but that also does not equate specifically to witch. You know, witchcraft equates to witch. So um, a lot of times people are throwing the title of witch onto something that is kind of witch adjacent. Like, oh, I read tarot cards. Great. That's also not witchcraft. Or I do astrology. Awesome. Then, you know, you are an astrologer. So it really depends on what exactly it is that, you know, your practice entails. Um when it comes to people who are new to witchcraft, um, and uh, kind of you were talking about earlier about this idea of you know that moment when you decide that something is for you, and I don't mean to discount that because you know you're talking about being into herbalism, mm-hmm. and when you first kind of realize like ah oh, this is the path for me right like and you're on fire for it and just so excited about it and it feels right and it feels like home and that is wonderful, but if you don't know what your herbs are or how to work with them and you begin telling people that you're an herbalist and giving out herbal remedies you are likely to hurt somebody or accidentally poison somebody or you know give them something that messes with their medication and causes them major problems Mm -hmm. so you know calling yourself something like an herbal acolyte is an excellent way to go when it comes to witchcraft there's so many ways to go so so many ways to go you can call yourself um, a student of witchcraft. I like that one. Um, it's because you're a defense against the dark arts professor. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> That's always kind of like the writing joke. I'm a, a slightly drunk uh, defense against the dark art professor. <laughs> this is how I roll. But, um, you know, we also have people, uh, people will self self identify what they are most comfortable with as far as being a new witch. You can call yourself a new witch. You can call yourself. Um, I've heard a lot of people really liking the term witchling, whatever does it for you, you know, however you feel comfortable identifying right now. We're in this weird thing right now where people are very against the term baby witch, which was very popular for the last few years. Um, there's a lot of controversy surrounding it. And my two cents on that is if you don't want to call yourself that, or you don't, or if you have a problem with that, then don't call yourself that. And I think it's, it's really the simplest thing to do. But people get very, very intense about it. Um, but also, I know people who really prefer to call themselves a baby witch. They like it. They feel like it, it matches with them. 
So honestly, self-identifying in the beginning, you have so many things to go with there. I really like, um, oh, what was the one I talked about in the article? I think it was Witch in Training because it has like a very Kiki's Delivery Service kind of feel. Oh, I like that. That's cute. And I'm very into <laughs> it. I'm like, yes, Witch in Training. So I don't want to, you know, discourage people from feeling like they can identify as someone who is a part of this world but just to kind of pump the brakes a little bit you know are are you are you able to actually back up the title of witch once you begin calling yourself that and also people don't realize that witchcraft is a lifelong commitment it's not something Mm -hmm. that you decide oh i'm a witch for a month no once a witch always a witch and if you're not ready to sign up for that then we need to kind of maybe back up a little bit and find out what it is that we are comfortable signing up with and maybe that has a different term with it, you know, like herbalist or astrologer or, you know, tarot reader or things like that. And just don't dive headfirst into everything. I think it's important that we just take a moment before we just plunge in. I just think that would be prudent for most of us. One thing that I've thought about with the word witch, and you can totally give me your opinion on this, because this is just something I've been thinking about, and I'm not sure how I feel totally about it. But I know uh, like the word queer is a verb. So like Mm -hmm. to queer something in in the academic world is to like look at something from outside of the, of like the heteronormative expectations. Mm -hmm. And you can queer so many things beyond just like sex and gender and Mm -hmm. um, all of that. And I've heard, like I've just started to wonder is like, is witch a verb too? Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yes, it, it definitely is a verb because it is all about the doing of it. Because there's a lot of people who um, dress like they do witchcraft, but they don't actually do witchcraft. Or they will read a lot of witchcraft books, but not actually practice it. And so in order to really kind of take on the title witch, you have to participate in it. It's not a spectator thing. You know, I don't, you know, you don't watch football and call yourself an NFL player. Um, you have to actually get out there and be practicing it and doing it. And now I, I know that like a huge handful of people right now are misunderstanding me and writing me hate mail at this very moment um, <laughs> because people had some problems with my article because they were like, well, I haven't cast a spell in four days and I'm still a witch. And I'm like, well, Yes. Like it, it's, <laughs> it, it's not about like frequency. Like you must cast a spell every single hour of every single day in order to call yourself a witch. It's like, no, but you have to be involved in witchcraft at least to an extent. And I'm also not saying, well, you need to know everything there is to know about witchcraft before you call yourself a witch, because I'm, I'm definitely not saying that because there is no finish line impossible. in witchcraft. <laughs> yeah. There is, it's impossible to know everything there is. What I'm simply saying is that you should at least have basic foundational skills and understand how the craft works. And that's it. I'm, I'm People misunderstand me or they just read the first like two paragraphs of my article and think that I'm saying like, oh, you have to have a PhD in high occult magic and be like a golden dawn initiate or like any of these things. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm simply saying you should understand how this works and be able to, you know, actually cast a spell, do a little bit of divination um, and have some knowledge. You have to actually know what it is you're doing and have some experience at it. I promise this, everyone who's listening, I'm not asking for a lot. I'm simply asking for the bare minimum of just having a little bit of education, having the basics down and be able to actually function in a magical capacity. 
I think you're being very like you're explaining this like very well. So I I don't I mean I guess people have problems with everything, but like I I appreciate talking to you about it because like the, when I first read uh, the article too, like you brought up in it about how if you don't feel like you're a witch, that's fine too. Like you can practice magic and not be a witch. Like yeah. it's not it doesn't have to be. I think just the word gets conflated with so many things just because, again, of like this strange difficulty around vocabulary that in, in all sorts of like paranormal, again, spiritual, magical, whatever community, yeah. whatever it is. Like there's just difficult communication between all of it and then trying to talk to someone else. Like I know for me, even before I, I read your article like a couple of months ago, I was just I just really started thinking to myself, I was like, I don't even know if I'm a witch. And that wasn't at all like a, a me saying like, I don't want to, I'm not interested in magic. I'm like increasingly more and more like this is my entire life. My entire job revolves around mm-hmm. magic and divination and all of this stuff and this podcast. And so like, this is my everyday life in reality. I live in a house mm-hmm. full of magical practitioners. There's <laughs> altars all over the place. Um, like I, I don't know. It just, that's like my entire life. But that's like the more I delve into it for me, I just don't know if which is the word for me. And reading mm-hmm. your article was like, it's like almost obviously I didn't need permission, but it was like it gave me the permission to be like, yeah, like I don't have to do this label just because of how popular it is right now. And I yeah. was using it for a while because it communicated, work, mm-hmm. like it communicated an understanding. Mm-hmm. And now I'm at the point it's like, I don't know. I'll just see what, what, how I feel day by day, yeah. I guess. And I think that's important to really have that ability to decide for yourself if you know the title or you know the practice itself is really for you something that i get a lot in my dms on instagram is people who are like oh like you know i'm i'm you know can you give me any tips for feeling connected with magic and witchcraft because i just i don't feel connected with it and you know i've been um you know trying to cast all these spells and do all this stuff, but it just doesn't, you know, I'm just kind of bored with it or I just don't feel like it's right, but I really, really, really need it to be right for me. And I'm like, why? I think a lot of people kind of get caught up in this trend thing. Well, it's cool. I want to do this because, you know, it's awesome, you know, and I I don't really Mm -hmm. fault anybody for feeling like witchcraft is cool or something that they would want to be a part of. But then we come across people who are actively trying to force themselves into it when it's clear that it's not for them. And it's really kind of amazing what will happen when I go, well, have you thought about just not doing it? (laughs) And then they kind of almost, you can sense this relaxation that comes over them like, oh, okay, yeah, actually I, I could just not do it. And I'm like, yeah, you can not do it. And then, um, and people get upset with me sometimes because they're like, oh, well, you know, you should be discouraging people from it. And I'm like, but also if it's clearly not something that they're into or not something that's making them happy, they shouldn't force themselves to be a part of it. People are, we're getting to the point where with witchcraft popularity, where people are attempting to kind of force themselves to be into it. And that mm-hmm. shouldn't be how it happens. A lot of people who... I really respect as, as witches in this community. And I share kind of this, this experience of growing up where witchcraft was not a choice for us. You know, people ask me like, Oh, how did you get into witchcraft? Like, I'm going to be like, Oh, well, you know, one day I was hanging out with a friend and, you know, she gave me this book and, you know, I decided this was something that I thought was neat and wanted to be a part of. It's like, no, it wasn't a choice. It was, you either do it or 
you do it. Like spirit was just like, this is what you're doing. You don't have an alternative for a lot of people who are then attempting to force themselves into it. I just, I I just need everybody to relax a lot around it and just realize (laughs) that it's okay if you don't want to be a witch or it's okay if you want to be witch adjacent. Maybe you are not into witchcraft. Maybe you don't feel, you know, a, a connection with it, but you are super into astrology or herbalism or, um, you know, palm reading or something, you know, that's like very close to it. You can still be in this metaphysical kind of different otherworldly community without trying to force yourself to be a witch. It's not always necessary. Yeah. And I appreciate what you said too, about that feeling of like, you don't really, sometimes you just don't really have a choice. Like Mm -hmm. I've talked to a lot of witches that say a similar thing. And even for me, it's like, well, I'm not sure like about the title of which for me and myself at this point, I just felt when I was a kid, it was just, it wasn't an option not to be part of magic. Like it wasn't like, there was so much shame that I had associated with it too. Mm-hmm. Um, like I remember like collecting rocks and things and, and then as I was like in first grade and then dumping them out on the side of the road, I was like, this is stupid. Like, what am I doing? Like, this is like, there's something wrong with me. And then I had an imaginary friend for so long that I like had so much shame around too, because of how old I was with that. I didn't know anything. And mm-hmm. my whole life has just kept putting me in these situations where magic, that is it. And like, even now there's so much in my life where like, I'm losing connections with family members because they don't understand what I'm doing. And they literally have told me they do not respect me as an autonomous person because Mm -hmm. of my path. And I just, and there was something weirdly freeing about that, having them Mm -hmm. tell me that. But then it was also like this internal truth of mine. that's like, but this is me. So, you know, I'm going to cut you loose because I can't compromise myself in this case. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting how witchcraft will kind of do that for you with your family and sometimes friends and things. And it's funny because people really kind of want that type of marginalization a little bit. Sometimes they're like, oh, I'm just so misunderstood, like, you know, as a witch. And that's something they're kind of going for a little bit. Uh But then when it actually happens, you're right. It is a little freeing sometimes. But then especially once it sinks in that you are different from a lot of people, it tends to be very isolating at the same time. Yes. Um, a lot of people find themselves feeling very isolated as witches or tend to kind of self-isolate. Um, you know, solitary practitioners are a very big thing right now. I'm not sure if covens are still really happening. I mean, I'm sure there are somewhere, but it's a vast majority of people I'm finding are solitary practitioners at home, which, you know, there's pros and cons to that as well. But yeah, it is very isolating experience when you first kind of cross through that threshold. Yeah, for sure. I'm really uh, lucky that I ended up living where I do now. I've been here for a couple of months and I met everyone in this house who you've spoken to, Paul and Jessica, through very Mm -hmm. strange circumstances. Um, (laughs) And it was just, I ended up here and it's just been a really great living situation. But we don't have a coven at all, but it's just we support each other in our practices and make time for each other and um and and create the space if someone needs to pray and be in the altar room alone and all these things so it's very supportive in that way but definitely I would say I'm a solitary practitioner and it is very isolating and it's also even more isolating um being a a non-binary person too and then trying to like this is like such a funny anecdote in my head but I know a lot of people can relate to this like trying to date when you're (laughs) 
<laughs> how serious like magic is for your life and then trying to meet people and then them not either not understanding not respecting it or just completely misunderstanding your perspective and then also like being non-binary it's just it's a, sometimes it's just a disaster yeah it's a lot to unpack for people and i'm i'm so lucky now that i'm actually married which is wonderful um but i i do remember that in dating sitting across from somebody going how do I explain this to them? Like, how, <laughs> how does this even work? And I got to the point where it was, I would just first date, here we go. This is what I do. I see dead people. Sometimes I get mad and light bulbs break or I'll get sad and the bathroom will flood. Can you dig it? Like, <laughs> and sometimes people would be like, yeah. Or like, you know, sometimes people would just like straight up try to leave right then and there. Um, so you, you get mixed reactions or, or the one, of course, that's they're into it until something woo woo starts to happen. Yeah. And then they realize they're not into it. Mm-hmm. So it is very, it does make a lot of social things harder. And I, I have found the experience of being queer and the experience of being a witch to be very similar, especially in the idea that like, you know, you're not necessarily given a choice. This is just simply who you are. So I I have definitely found that both those experiences are very, very much tied together. Have you found much, um, I mean, how did you end up finding the community that you did now? that you're you mentioned you're a part of like was there was that through social media because I know that's how I'm that's how I've had to meet most of the people that I've spoken to enter this podcast for me but how did you in your um which years find a community that actually works for you oh I am honestly I'm still kind of looking it's very hard it's very hard I I found a lot of people in the paranormal community um because of the, the work that I do, I'm part of a paranormal investigation team. And so through them, I was able to meet up with a lot of people who are kind of in this world that's very adjacent to witchcraft. It's a lot of people who, you know, collect crystals and are psychic and, you know, believe in Ouija boards and, you know, the afterlife and all this stuff. So it's kind of a very woo-woo group that I can kind of be a part of. Um, but as far as witchcraft is concerned, I am, I, I want a community so bad, but also two things I'm really up against. Number one, I'm not a joiner. I, I don't like to go to <laughs> gatherings with people and things like that. Even though I really want to, just the idea of it sounds exhausting. Yeah. And I'm also so extremely picky about what it is that I'm signing up for or spending energy on. And I have un- had the unfortunate experience of thinking I'm going to be joining up with, you know, witchcraft people and I get there and it's, it's simply people who are witchcraft adjacent, or it's just not, it's just not what I signed up for. It's a lot of like, we're all starseed children. I'm like, I have no idea what that means. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to find exactly what I'm looking for. So I am very much without community right now, except for online. I have found a lot of really amazing people through um, kind of the Instagram community and made wonderful connections um, in that sense. So I'm still looking for um, some local community. I have found, I live in a very kind of small rural town in Oregon, and I have found um, a little community here. Um, There are some people, we kind of have our little underground vibe thing that's happening. Um, 
So I, I do have a small handful of people around. And I actually live not that far from water priestess extraordinaire, uh, Miss Anwen Avalon, who uh, Oh my has, gosh, I love them so much. Right? Right? Yeah, no, she... Oh, her water witchcraft book. Amazing. Oh, it was wonderful. And I actually met her when she was in the editing process for Water Witchcraft a couple years ago. And she was the one who actually got me all prepared. She held my hand through the whole process of pitching my book and and she'll still be like, okay, here's what to expect next in the next step. So she has been the most wonderful friend through all of this. And um, so she's kind of helped me connect with some more people. And so every so often we kind of find someone else in this little podunk town who is secretly kind of one of us, as we say. So I am slowly kind of building this community around here and having Anwen, she lives like 10 minutes from me. So having her nearby has been wonderful as well as, you know, some other people that I've been meeting. So that's been very nice. I bought her book when I lived in the UK and I shipped it all the way there. I was like, I need this now. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So I wanted to shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit more about the paranormal community, adjacent community, because that's something that I have in common with you. I, I am part of another of a paranormal community that is adjacent. Like there are a lot of a lot of these people are into magic and witchcraft as well, and that's mm. uh, Greg and Dana's Hellier community. They're traveling museum of the paranormal occult patreon and facebook group which is yes. but they're they're live streams and they're live investigations i don't know i met a lot of cool people through that who aren't necessarily witches but i have like a shared interest in all of this this phenomenon mm-hmm. and it's funny because at the beginning of this year i remember i was walking i lived somewhere completely different i live in oregon as well uh, but i lived in northern california in humboldt county and i remember i was walking across a freeway overpass and i was like this year I want to become friends with so many paranormal investigators. And then I kind of forgot about it until, <laughs> and obviously I, I didn't have this podcast at this point or anything like that. And then now a couple of weeks ago, I looked back and I was like, wait a second. And first I, I have interviewed so many paranormal investigators that have then become contacts or friends and stuff for me. And it's like, wow, like I really am doing what I want to do. And cause I'm just so interested in um, the paranormal phenomena in general and like how the different how what people think, at least in my perspective, are all different things. There are mm. lots of commonalities. It doesn't necessarily mean everything's the same at all, but there's just a lot more similarities than people think between the Bigfoot world and the ghost world and the the Fae, all this stuff. Like there's a mm. lot more similarities than I think most people really understand. So would you if you would like to talk about your experience, especially as as a witch paranormal investigator and what what that is like for you? Because usually on TV people just see like really weird shit that's not accurate for actual paranormal <laughs> investigating. Right. It's always so exciting on TV, right? Like people join paranormal investigation groups and they're like, you know, especially if, if their only resource or, or idea about it is from television, thinking that you just show up to a haunted place and all this stuff starts happening. What they don't know is it's actually just like six hours of sitting in a really dark room going, Hello? Is there anybody <laughs> out there? And getting absolutely nothing. And then you go home and spend the next 36 hours straight just going over all your recordings and everything, looking for the tiniest little blips. Um, so it's it's not as exciting as people uh, are thinking it's going to be. But I, I have had a lot of fun um, in it. And I've had some very interesting experiences. But I think where 
both kind of witchcraft and the sort of paranormal community really overlap is this idea of understanding that there is more out there than we have been told um, and kind of really going after that and what does that mean and how far does it extend and how does it affect us and it's really interesting because you know we call it you know paranormal when it, it's actually extremely normal yeah for people to have <laughs> Uh, some sort of, you know, quote unquote, paranormal experience or to experience a haunting or some sort of ghost interaction, or even just experiencing something strange that we don't even know what to call it. So it's it's very, very common for people to have these sorts of experiences. And so that's something that's really been enlightening for me in doing this work is to realize how widespread it is, even if we're not talking about it or, you know, people are like, Oh, I'll, I'll have friends who are like, Oh, nothing weird has ever happened to me ever except for, and then they bust out the craziest story you've ever heard. And then they're like, <laughs> but I don't believe in any of that. But, but, you know, kind of both of us, whether we're paranormal investigators or we're witches, we are, we understand that there is more out there, whether it's, Bigfoot, whether it's UFOs, whether it's haunted houses or witchcraft, you know, there is more out there. And the one thing I've really learned from paranormal investigation, kind of being a part of that world, is that the truth is always stranger than fiction. Totally. People are always like, oh, was it like this, you know, scary movie? And I'm like, nah, it was weirder than that. Totally, totally. Like, way weirder. And every time you go to a, a case, it's going to be completely different and so that's something that I think we have in common is that kind of expanded worldview yeah it's so interesting too how I think sometimes people who don't have like conscious and like identifiable regular experiences but some people consider paranormal but for most of us in this world it's just like our regular everyday lives like we have here uh I so I live in the basement of this house but it's like one of those ones where there's windows everywhere it's just half of it's underground mm -hmm. but there's a ghost that lives in this basement that we just acknowledge as part of the house yeah and we don't have any problems with them and that's like totally normal for us mm -hmm. in fact when i moved here part of the process was introducing me to john and <laughs> and just he likes to have his own space and the other day I was in the bathroom next door and I, 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 I was, I've been reading this new book called The Exorcist Handbook by Josephine McCarthy. And there's, she has a lot of like things you can do in there. So she, there was like instructions on how to consecrate salt and water and then like to make, do your own like mini daily exorcism, mm -hmm. um, which is <laughs> how casually she talks about it. So I was doing that just so I could dump it over my head in the shower. I felt like there was something on the back of my neck. Totally normal things, you know. Yeah, totally. uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and after I did that, I, I walked back into my room and my phone, I thought I'd turned the music off and, but I guess I hadn't. So, cause it was making weird sounds. So I went and opened it and it was on Spotify and it was on a radio station. So it wasn't even my regular music library. And it was a song called basement ghost. <gasps> and the entire, so I, and I'd never heard the song before. And then I went and Googled the lyrics and it's all about like, Hey, I know that like, you guys don't really hear from me that much, but I just want you to know that I'm here. It was, the lyrics were literally like that. And I was like, what Oh my God. <laughs> I so love cool. it when that stuff happens. Yeah. Like I, like I couldn't make that up. Yeah. I love a good roommate ghost. Uh, a lot of times, and 
I love that they were talking about, you know, introducing you to him and making sure that everything is cool. Cause so many times people contact me, they're like, there's a ghost in my house. What do I do? And I'm like, well, have you tried talking to it? And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, talk to it. Like, and of course that's always kind of a slippery slope depending on your type of haunting. But I find a lot of the times if you have just a human spirit that is in your home and you talk to it and say, Hey, um, I'm going to be living with you. Uh, here's what I'm comfortable with. Like you can hang out in these areas or you can make yourself known in this way, but please like stay out of my kid's room. Cause you freak them out. Like if you lay down ground rules and just kind of talk to them, a lot of the times they're cool to, you know, make that happen for you and kind of work in the way that you are wanting them to. So I always suggest that people, you know, talk to their ghosts, you know, as, as a first kind of way of dealing with the problem, if there is a problem is just talking to them and people are often surprised at what happens when they do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, When I, when I first moved here, maybe it was like a month after I moved here in June, but I remember sitting at my altar and then I just wanted to talk to him like and see like what's up if he needed anything. And it was Mm -hmm. so interesting because the feelings that I got was just, he just really likes all of the divination cards we have all over the place down here. And so he likes it when we leave them out on our altar because he doesn't really understand tarot or anything because that Mm -hmm. wasn't part of his life, but he just likes looking at them. And we draw, we draw so many, like like our part at the end of every time we pray, it's just like cards all over the place. And uh, but now I, I leave a lot of mine out just so he can see them. And, you know, just roommate things, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that. We can often really just cohabitate real peacefully. Um, and that's something that I found a lot in kind of the work that I do is sometimes people are really afraid of something until you're like, oh, it's just Bob. He built this house. And yeah, your cat's freaked out, but that's just because he kind of likes to play pranks on them but he's totally harmless and then once they know that then everyone calms down the activity calms down everything's fine and then you know they can cohabitate um quite nicely a lot of the time yeah and and jessica too when i guess when they first found out he was here they 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 connected with him and asked if he wanted to like leave or cross over and he didn't want to and so now it's just like all right just follow these guidelines that we've set stay away from the kids please Mm-hmm. stay down here that's part of it is like to stay in the basement and not really go yeah. upstairs like you mentioned like stay away from the kids because it's funny because they kind of naturally avoid this space as well which mm-hmm. was part of the confirmation process for my housemates of there being something in here because the kids are just kind of like eh, we don't really want to go in the basement so oh, yeah yeah they definitely will sense those things so that's something i tell people a lot too they're like you know I, I do a lot of like negative entity removal and people be like, well, where do I know where it lives? And I'm like, you will know because <laughs> you will either naturally avoid it or you'll just be like that closet is creepy. And I don't know why, like you can sense it. Even people who, you know, quote, don't have a psychic bone in their body or whatever. It's just instinct a lot of the times to avoid those things. Do you have any insight on what, what's the deal with closets? Oh, closets. <laughs> They love a good closet, don't they? They it's, do. <laughs> they're, it's just kind of anywhere where energy will stagnate, especially like dark places or um, especially like storage areas that don't get really a lot of fresh air or light, you know, places that are closed off a lot. They'll really love those areas. So yeah, it's usually closets or like the cupboard under the stairs is another big one or 
that guest bedroom that you're using for storage right now and you haven't gone into in like two Mm. months those are the places where you're gonna get haunted by something icky basements too but it's definitely a lot of those spaces like closets just wherever energy will stagnate and it doesn't get you know refreshed a lot that ends up being perfect habitat for something icky just to set up shop do you find a lot or anything interesting about staircase landings um that's interesting that you mentioned that because i i don't i honestly i don't know if if there's any like you know reason behind it but you do kind of find a lot of ghosts that like to just stand at the top of stairs and just kind of like lurk or like you know the landing halfway down or something there is something about that i don't know what it is but it is always kind of eerie like when you're looking up the stairs or down the stairs and you just know that there's something kind of there (laughs) yeah that's something that i've noticed with um like what if there's like a landing that has a bunch of doors around and i know sometimes people talk about at least i i I talk a lot about myself about liminal spaces when Mm -hmm. i really start thinking about it suddenly everything becomes a liminal space in my head i was like is that technically a liminal space because people are coming in and out and doors are opening and closed and no doors are there's a lot of symbolism between uh-huh. them and portals and same with windows and all this stuff. And then my brain just starts turning. It's yeah. like, I don't know if I'm projecting all of this or if there is actually some significance to it, but <laughs> just figured I'd ask on that one. Yeah. That's interesting. I'm not totally sure on that one, but you're right. There does happen to be a lot of weird activity there, or I'll find a lot of spirits that are either like standing at the top or the bottom of the stairs or in those areas. So this was something that was pretty frequent for you to go on investigations before COVID? Uh, yeah. Well, and it kind of depends on the season too. We get pretty busy during like the summer and the fall, um, winter time, not so much. Cause we'd all either be, you know, stuck inside or unable to travel for a little while and then it would kind of pick up again. So everything kind of has its season. Um, I, I was doing it fairly frequently, especially when I lived in Portland, cause Um, That's where my paranormal team is based out of. And um, Portland itself is just really haunted. So we had a lot going on up there. We worked through pretty much all of the Portland metro area, St. John's a lot, um, as well as lower Washington, places like Vancouver, Camas, Battleground, all all of those. So it, it was a pretty frequent occurrence for me. For a while, we were going at least once a month to somewhere. But then, you know, of course, it always ebbs and flows a little bit. And since I moved, I haven't been doing so much investigative work because where I live now doesn't isn't super haunted. Um, Portland has kind of that unique history where, you know, you have Old Town and then you have the Shanghai tunnels and you have all these really old buildings and history Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So um, it was a lot easier to kind of stumble across these things and and get work there uh, in a place like that. If someone were to be interested in paranormal investigations, what are like, do you have any specific things that you would would tell them in terms of, I mean, we've already talked about some misconceptions around like the excitement, (laughs) the excitement level. But I mean, I always, when people mention investigations, I tend to recommend Hellier just because it shows a lot more of the feeling like you're going crazy part that on some (laughs) investigations like you can feel, I, I haven't been on like any like official ones, but I've just done like my own uh, research and things and um, I'm pursuing my own, I guess, I, I, again, investigations isn't the right word, but just like pursuing my own 
interests and areas that have um, <laughs> explorations. Yeah, explorations. But I really appreciate that about Hellier because it was just a lot more of an honest approach to what it can be like. But I'm just curious if you have any um, advice for people. Yeah, um, I have I have two bits of advice. The the first one is that is before you go into it, ask yourself what is your goal by joining paranormal investigation? What is it that you're there to do? Because people will be there for all kinds of reasons. They'll be there to try and make sense of a childhood experience that happened to them, or they'll be there because they want to find scientific data about the afterlife, or they might be there because they want to help spirits that are trapped. Whatever it is that is your reason for, for doing paranormal investigation, you, you have to first figure out what that is. And it's funny because a lot of people will jump into these things. And then when you ask them like, okay, well, what is your purpose here? They'll be like, I have no idea. But once you find out what that is, that mission will guide you. That, that mission really dictates kind of which teams you join or who you ask to join a team that you might be starting. Because it's important that your mission is in line with the people that you grew up with. You know, um, I would do very, very poorly on a team that was about collecting scientific data um, about the afterlife. I, I do have a science background, but I don't feel that that is what I am here to do. I'm here to help spirits and people coexist with one another. I'm kind of a, a referee. And so my my job is to help people. I, I don't show up to document a haunting. I show up to resolve a haunting. You know, you you have a human spirit in your home that needs to move on because it's stuck there. I'm here to help you do that. Or, you know, get rid of whatever nasty boogie thing is in your closet. Or, you know, so really having a clear idea of, of why it is you're here is going to be important. Now, the second thing that I recommend is I believe that Every paranormal investigator, everyone who is going to participate in this world at all, needs to buy a copy of a book called When Ghosts Speak, and it's written by a woman named Mary Ann Winkowski. I'm going to say it one more time. It's When Ghosts Speak, written by Mary Ann Winkowski. Um, it's one of the most amazing books I've ever read on the topic of human spirits on the other side. Um, she is a psychic medium who has a very clear connection with them, like to the point where it's as clear as you would be talking to an actual living person who is standing in front of you. Um, wow. So she has a very intense understanding of their world and how it functions and the mechanics behind it um, and why spirits do the things that they do. And she um, does a good job of not only explaining all of that, but also she has many how-to portions. She walks you through how to open the light so that earthbound human spirits can move on when they're ready. Um, so it's, it's a very practical book, but also it helps you understand the world. And for me, growing up a medium, reading that book, it helped me connect so many dots because though I do interact with the dead, her intensity of, of understanding about the world helped me really go, oh, so that's why they're doing this and that's why they're doing that. And it made a lot of sense with things I had already experienced. So I think it's, it's really important for everybody, even if you're just here to be scientific and get data or whatever it is, to really read it because you have to know the subject that you are studying. And also I feel like it will just help people get tools because something that I'm really kind of 
against and something I've I've been trying to kind of fix in the paranormal world is a lot of times, you know, I would say the vast majority of times, um, paranormal teams don't actually know how to help you with your haunting, but they're more than happy to come in and take pictures. And that's really not helpful because I'll have people contact me and be like, oh, this stuff is happening. Like, you know, we have Satan in our basement or, or whatever it is. And so I'll be like, well, you're in Kentucky. I can't do anything for you there, but let me contact your local paranormal investigation team. And so I spend, you know, two seconds online, find out who that is, give them a call. And if they, or, you know, send them an email or whatever. And if they do actually respond, which most of the time they don't, the response is, well, we can do absolutely nothing to help, but we would love to come and document it. Oh, and I'm like, I'm like, get out of here. <laughs> like, that is not helpful. Like, you're like, oh, you're miserable. Great. Can I take photos of it? Like, that's I, I'm I'm not here for that. So I, I feel that even if you are kind of a scientific, you know, if you're doing the scientific approach to paranormal investigation, it would really help if you knew at least the basics on how to help people who are experiencing this because a lot of people don't really want you to come and take pictures of it they need help because their child hasn't slept in six weeks or i've come into houses where everyone has been um sleeping in the living room together they've all like brought their mattresses in there because they feel safer together um, because of the activity like a lot of the times people don't need documentation they need help and so Mm -hmm. um, at least having a little bit of skills in that area is going to be just a huge help for you know not only their clients but those of us out here that are doing this work we are tired <laughs> so it's it's helpful if other people can get out there and into it yeah i really appreciate that it's a much more of a, a holistic approach to the paranormal that takes into consideration like the relationships of well you know like I, i've seen some people have shirts that are like ghosts are people too and it's like yeah like they yes. can't like like some people will go in and it's just they just like antagonize whatever's going on for the purpose of getting them to come out or to to do something and then leave the home or the building or whatever if it's that type of haunting and then just like i don't know why would i don't know it's never made sense to me like why why would they do that other than for just getting some type of documentable evidence but then having no consideration for everyone that has to be in that space afterwards or the original reason why they were there so Thank you for setting an example. Yeah, I try, <laughs> but it <laughs> sometimes doesn't always work the way I want it to. But, but yeah, I, I think it's it's important to really understand that when we enter into this world, we are working with people. They are simply on the other side a lot of the time. So, having respect and not just antagonizing spirits for you know whatever clickbait YouTube video you're making or or to get some scientific evidence that let's be honest no one's going to look at or listen to so yeah. it's it's nice just to just to be kind it's not hard especially you know when it comes to spirits just be nice and understand that this spirit is going through stuff so speaking about spirits and everything so again I mentioned earlier in the podcast you call yourself a defense against the dark arts professor or teacher. And I think that that, well, I'm curious like how that came to be. Obviously there's a reference to to Harry Potter there, but I, I saw that you were offering a class recently about the, like defending your home or like protecting your home and your space. And then I saw something Mm -hmm. too about you have something coming up in later. I think this month that is about working with 
the dead is that right i don't know if i yeah uh, yeah i had a home defense workshop um a few weeks ago i try to do one workshop a month and i'll i'll kind of cycle through what it is that i'm teaching um and this one that's coming up is kind of a two-parter um part of it is protecting yourself and your home from the dead because this year especially we have oh gosh so many new dead with the pandemic and natural disasters that have been happening. So this year, and we're currently entering into the season of the dead, or I guess we're a ways into it at this point, where that veil is getting thinner between now and, you know, mid-November, we're entering this phase in which the dead is so much closer to us. And we have so many new dead and restless dead and things like that. So it's very important to kind of understand how to draw those boundaries around ourselves and really kind of make sure that we are feeling safe and protected during this time, because I have a feeling we're going to be seeing a lot more spirit attachments and all kinds of things that, you know, issues that we run into around these times. Um, But then the other half of the class is going to be on ancestor veneration, because I kind of want to go at it from the, the two points of view that there are some dead that are not going to be helpful for you, or might in fact be kind of downright harmful for you. Um, and how to protect yourself from that. But also there are good dead too. And, you know, our ancestors and things like that can be a huge source of support um, if we only know how to kind of engage with them. So I wanted to kind of approach it from both those sides for the October workshop. Um, This just popped into my head just now as you were talking about that. What is your perspective on cemeteries and um, entering them? And do you have any, like, how do you, because I was reading a really interesting book it's oh my gosh i'm forgetting the name it is on specifically conjure work from the hoodoo tradition um, is it dark assassin's book old style conjure with the rooster on the front i don't know it's across the room <laughs> i can't see it from here well it, it had a lot of interesting information about when you're going into cemeteries how to like cover your face as you enter and exit and it alluded to all different traditions as well in terms of their perspectives on cemeteries and i also know there's an Arisha Oya that is um, a protector of the cemeteries. And then in Egyptian mythology and tradition, it's like Anpu or Anubis has that connection. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering what your perspective is on there. Because I, I personally spend a lot of time in cemeteries. That's something that I've done for like way, way before I even had a conscious interest in anything of this sort. I just would always end up in there. And then as I've gotten older, I've just started doing taking a lot more of um precautions as i enter and exit them and wander around like even the other day i thought i saw someone's root working and i was yeah. like whoa i didn't know there was a another root work or a, a root worker in town it is interesting when you come across that yeah <laughs> yeah so when it comes to cemeteries i am always urging people to be really careful because because we're in this place right now, of course, you know, where witchcraft is trending, but, you know, information is not trending. Solid um, <laughs> information isn't trending so much. So people are like, oh, I hear that you can use graveyard dirt for, you know, X, Y, or Z. So people just roll up and start scooping. Oh, and no. that's, I'm like, please, please do not do that. Because that's how you end up having to call someone like me to pull a dead guy off your back. It's very, well, it depends on why you're there, first and foremost. If you're just there to stroll through it or you're just passing through it's not so dangerous i i want to put a big asterisk by that and say you should still 
carry protection because even just kind of casually going through these places, you really don't know what is you're going to come across because either you might run across um, like a guardian spirit that is in the cemetery who doesn't like you being there um, that might cause you problems or there are actual dead there that might be looking for a person to feed on and so you might end up uh, gaining a spirit attachment by being there that there's just all kinds of and of course you know you're talking about finding someone else's work there and a lot of the work that takes place in a cemetery is not good work and so if you step on someone's work inadvertently or by accident which can happen a lot or accidentally come across someone else's curse that was intended for somebody else you can trigger it and then be the unintentional victim of that work um so it's very important that we have a large amount of respect for cemeteries in these areas because when we go there we are essentially trespassing in the land of the dead that belongs to them that ground all of that area belongs to them so when you just show up in it it's their rules and mm -hmm. so when we do cemetery work i just think it's, it's very important to just be very aware be very cautious. If you are going to harvest graveyard dirt, understand how to do it. And if you are going to do graveyard or cemetery work, know what you are doing before you go out there. A lot of times people just think, again, you just roll up and just start scooping dirt off the graves. And that can be very, very dangerous. So if you don't know what it is you're doing, I urge you to stay out of it. But if you have read or, you know, got taught by somebody who knows what they're doing, um, then graveyard cemetery work can be very beneficial and be very powerful. But I'm not sure it's always necessary, especially if it's not something that we are comfortable with or know how to do. So I, I don't want anybody to feel like they need to go into it. But if they do need to, definitely make sure that you have your bases covered as far as protection is concerned and respect. There's a lot of etiquette that happens in a graveyard, you know, paying for dirt, definitely paying a spirit mm -hmm. for its help, or, you know, paying even just to enter mm -hmm. the, yeah. uh, the cemetery is important. And if we're not observing these things, that's when things can go wrong. There's a cemetery that I really like where I live. It's in the middle of a college campus. And <laughs> Oh. I feel so bad for those spirits <laughs> because part of the reason I go is because there's just garbage in there all of the time. Oh. And obviously I already, before I started doing this, I was like, all right, I need to like make sure I'm not picking up someone's root work. Sometimes yeah. I, I found things in other places that look like a plastic bottle, but it is very obviously a bottle full of stuff and I don't need yeah. to touch it but there's often that there's just like chip bags or cans or like beer cans all over the place in there and so um usually i'll hear pings in my head of like hey like can you please come help us like to help us like get this garbage out or just come do some maintenance usually it's not like a help me it's just like a can you come pick up some stuff <laughs> and the a couple weeks ago it was in the middle of when the fire smoke and where i live now was really thick mm -hmm. um because i actually think we both live near each other but the fire smoke was really thick. And so, but I heard this ping. It was like, can you, there's just some, a lot of debris. Can you come pick up this debris in the cemetery? And I was like, oh God, the air is so shitty, but okay, I'll put on my 
at 95 and I'll go. Yeah. And I just driven back from Portland because I was dropping something off there because I make, uh, I have an herbal medicine project I do. And so I was leaving some up there and I came back and I get to the cemetery and I walk in and this giant tree, at least 50 year old tree had just cracked halfway up and fallen like fully down on top of all of these graves. The headstones were thrown around. Like they were completely had been lifted off the ground and were like upside down, branches everywhere. And I was like, I cannot pick up this debris, guys. (laughs) This is too big for me. Oh, but that's so sad. I know. Simultaneously, like I was really sad, but it was also like so awestruck by like the sheer amount of power, like whatever wind or whatever had come through to cause that. It wasn't even like it fell over from the root. It was like halfway up. It just had snapped and fallen directly horizontal onto the earth, full force. Yeah. And headstones are heavy too. So to really Mm -hmm. move those around to that extent. Wow. I am thinking about in November, making the November class on uh, cemetery and graveyard work because that's something I'm seeing more people start talking about in um, like you know Facebook witch groups or you know online people are um, kind of talking about it a lot more these days and wanting to go get graveyard dirt and stuff and I people I'm certain hate me because I'm just showing up in the comment section like just here to remind you that if you're not sure what you're doing to not do it at all or else it's going to be bad. Um, and <laughs> I always think it's, it's not helpful to just be like, well, if you don't know how to do it, then don't, as opposed to actually trying to teach people and give them good information. So I, I think that yeah. in November, I will go over that um, just because I think it's important not to just tell people not to do something, but also help them understand the you know, correct ways to go about certain things. Yeah, I'd be very interested if you did that, because that's something that one of those strange things I had to do when I was younger is I had to go to the cemetery. And I've never I don't do like cemetery any type of work in there other than I just like to take care of ones like every place that I've lived because I moved around a lot. I find a cemetery that and, and I'd pick up trash and all of that stuff. That's more of my approach to it. But I would love to learn more information from someone who actually knows uh, like reliable information because again the there, it's so hard to find something to trust especially when it comes to, to things like that because everything is so convoluted and I don't know where the source is coming from and then all these traditions get mixed together sometimes I am hoping to do it it'll be good and, and you're right a lot of weird misinformation is out there and kind of dangerous information I was in a again it was a Facebook group where they were talking about graveyard dirt and someone was like yeah, you should use it for fertility magic. And I was what? like, I, I'm like, if we were in person, I would slap the graveyard dirt out of your hand. Like if someone is trying to bring life into the world, I'm not going to bring death dirt to them. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's the same reason why I don't use plants like rue in order to um, protect unborn babies because rue medicinally will cause miscarriage. Yeah. So to kind of understand that energy that you're working with. And then people on the internet will tell you all kinds of crazy stuff. I've seen spells that are like, in order to like bring, you know, love to your relationship, you should take a jar full of cold water and plunge your lover's picture into it and squeeze lemon juice and hot sauce into it. Oh my it, God. And then like, oh no. let it sit for three days <laughs> and then flush it down the toilet. 
And I'm like, don't you dare do that. Like, that's a terrible, terrible advice. But then so many people in the comments are taking notes like, oh, that's really good. Cool. Awesome. Does it have to be Mason jar? And I'm like, stop, stop. God, that one's like your waterboard, your love, like bind them yeah. and then drown them. <laughs> yeah drown them cold water then flush them down the toilet and i'm like please don't do this work oh no <laughs> but it did at least it made a good talking point for yes you can indeed do a spell wrong even if your intention is to do something else you can indeed like because there's this whole thing about you know oh well intention is everything nothing else matters except for intention and that's not true always you know if if my intention is to bring new love into my life and then I stab nine nails into the face of a doll I've made, you know, of this person, it's not going to bring new love into my life. Um, you know, even if your intentions are super good. Yeah. Yeah. Intentions are definitely important, but there's so much other things that go along with it as well. So something that I wish more people would also talk about. So well, we're at about an hour and 20, and before, I, as I wrap up here, is there anything that you've got coming up? I know we mentioned a little bit about some of the workshops you have going this month, but basically anything you're offering at this point, where people can find you? I know you have an online apothecary, I believe. Um, I do. It's very tiny. I have a little Etsy store um, that I call Woodwitch Apothecary. Folks can find me on Instagram. Um, my Instagram handle is at Oregon Woodwitch with little underscores in between the words. And also right now, my first book, American Brujeria, is available for pre-order on Amazon right now. So if you just go to Amazon, type in American Brujeria, um, it will come up and you can order it. It comes out May 1st. So if you pre-order it now, as soon as it drops, it will just be sent directly to you. So Great. Well, and if you anyone listening would like to find me, you can find a digital gallery of my art and information on readings at mothmana.com. You can also find me on Instagram at mothmanatero. And if you would like to support the podcast and join the hordes in my underworldian city, you can come hang out on Patreon at patreon.com slash mothmana. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I had a great time talking about all of this. And this is the part of the podcast where I hit stop recording and I keep talking to you. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you very much for having me.